Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for this podcast is Tamara Piety, Associate Dean for Faculty Development and Associate Professor of Law at the University of Tulsa College of Law. She's an internationally recognized legal scholar writing about the legal treatment of commercial and corporate speech. Um, For example, in 2009, she was invited to be a panelist before the Federal Trade Commission on the question of regulating the marketing of junk food to children. Uh, Published widely in the law literature, she's an accomplished scholar. She has a forthcoming book published by the University of Michigan Press called Brandishing the First Amendment. Um, Tamara, I'm delighted to have you here. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So we're going to record two podcasts, one on commercial speech and what it means for the world of food marketing. But this this one I'd like to talk about uh, an important Supreme Court case called Citizens United that happened not long ago, a case that not that many people have heard of or, or know about, but one that could have enormous implications for uh, health-related issues in particular. So would you mind giving us a sense of what the case was and what the court decided? Sure. Um, Citizens United actually, I think, got a fair amount of press for its um, consequences for campaign finance regulation, and that is kind of, to the extent that it's known, it's known for that. Uh, The court struck down a portion of the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act, um, also known as McCain-Feingold, that prohibited corporations from doing certain types of political advertising expenditures. But the consequences for commercial speech of this decision are not as well known and I think are pretty significant. And that is that the court really uh, used some very strong language, some very strong rhetoric about the corporate personhood. We saw this in uh, Mitch Romney's comment to someone on the campaign trail, corporation is a person too, my friend. Mm -hmm. Uh, That kind of really strong rhetoric of of the corporation as a... uh, an equal participant in the political process actually then has some implications for thinking how we think about commercial speech. And up until very recently, commercial speech was thought to be sort of a, uh, a subcategory of protected speech and subject to a lower level of protection. That is, the government could regulate for um, all sorts of health and uh, safety concerns, the regulation of the stock market and so forth. Uh, it has not been treated as fully protected speech, which would really very significantly restrict the government's ability to regulate. And if you take that rhetoric in Citizens United seriously and apply that to the commercial speech doctrine, which I think recent case law suggests is what has happened, uh, it does call into question the government's ability to really regulate all sorts of things, not only marketing to children of, say, junk food, but also regulation of securities, initial public offerings, things like that. Okay, so I'd like to loop back in the second podcast to the the commercial speech, food marketing, and all that. Let's talk about the implications of Citizens United for the ability of corporations to lobby for the uh, the money to be you know for the money to be transparent is it exchanges hands and things like that. Well, there one part of the Citizens United decision that um, uh, was that upheld part of the the McCain-Feingold was the re- disclosure requirement, and some observers have hailed that as um, 
as a good outcome and this, that this should show us that we have nothing to fear because disclosure is here. Um, others have pointed out that that may not be sufficient where corporations can form other corporations whose, um, whose uh, contributors are may not be um, disclosed. And so there is this issue of, of astroturf or um, front group kind of organizations not knowing who who's a, who's part of them and that may not that still may be an issue so i know the worry among uh, some people say in the public health community was that um, the corporations which already had considerable sway in the political process would have even more so now because they could spend more money and it would be easier to disguise where the money is coming coming from do you think those are fair concerns I do think it's fair concern, and I, I do think um, one of the things that Justice Chief Justice Roberts um, observed in his confirmation hearings was, and it's been reported on uh, quite a bit about his observation about the appropriate role of the 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 judge in a case that, like Citizens United, in which you're going to use constitutional principles or you're going to to, to invalidate um, legislation, is restraint is this idea that the the judge is sort of the umpire and it should not inject his or her opinions. Um, uh, Justice Roberts wrote a concurring opinion in Citizens United in which he took some pains to explain why he was departing from that principle in this case and saying, well, some things are just so bad that you really need to, to stand against them. And it's hard to argue with that principle. We would uh, probably support that and do, do indeed in a case like Brown versus Board of Education. The critical difference between those two goes back to the point that you made, which is that in a case like Brown, we have the court intervening on behalf of a, a minority who may not have adequate representation in the legislature and reason to think that the laws that emerge from that majority are not necessarily taking into account their rights. And so this is the power of the court to invalidate legislation is called their counter-majoritarian power. It's a different thing altogether to see that counter-majoritarian power used to invalidate the legislation of the, the elected representatives on behalf of the, the powerful, on behalf of those who already have a great deal of influence in the, the so legislative was, process. was the sentiment in the court that the corporations had inadequate representation or rights that needed to somehow be defended? No. I, well, I don't, I'm not sure that that, perhaps some would say that. Uh, I think what you see is this trope or this framing of the corporation as not a despised participant, that the information that a corporation may want to put out is just as valuable as that of any other participant, that they are a citizen. And it, you know, the plaintiff in that case was really well uh, named, Citizens United, and, and the the subject of the case, which was that movie that the organization put out um, to uh, about Hillary Clinton during the campaign and, and really cu questioning whether or not she would be a good president, uh, seemed it it's like it walks like a duck. It talks. I mean, it seems exactly like the kind of political speech that you would want to. And indeed, it may be that it should have been protected, but not necessarily for that reason. That the reasoning was much more expansive than needed to just find that that film was protected. So, um, 
that, that, that just seems like more than they needed to, to say to get to that point. So we'll talk in the second podcast about the implications of all this for the food marketing issue in particular, but are there also concerns, other concerns in the health arena about that, that particular decision by the Supreme Court? Well, there's concerns in, in all sorts of um, uh, areas of regulation. The health, one of the, the challenges that has just uh, fairly recently been made is to challenge the uh, FDA's recent labeling requirements for cigarettes to have graphic warnings. And, uh, of course, the industry has challenged that, notwithstanding that some of the industry participated in helping to draft that legislation, they are challenging it now on First Amendment grounds. And this is, here comes the book plug. I mean, this is what I'm saying in the in the book, brandishing the First Amendment is, is just kind of tracing how this has become kind of the all-purpose weapon to use to attack any sort of legislation that that industry doesn't like. And we, and even non-legislation. So for instance, the uh, interagency working group guidelines on for the self-regulation of the industry on food marketing to children have, has been attacked as violating the First Amendment, even though it's not a law. So, and by its terms, the First Amendment should only apply to enactments of laws, but nevertheless, some advocates have, have said it violates the First Amendment as well. So when you brought up the, the issue of the tobacco companies being required to put graphic labels on their packages, that's the, the legal issue of compelled speech. Right. And, and you know this better than I do, obviously. But from what I understand, it's when corporations are compelled to use language or speech that may be contrary to their own interests. Um, so it sounds like the Citizens United case not only applies in a pretty profound way to um, forbidding industry from speaking in certain ways, which would be a restriction of their speech, but also it extends into this compelled speech area. Right. Well, it wouldn't, it would not only, the way it's being used is to um, prohibit the government from prohibiting the speech or, or, or um, compelling a particular content. Right. So it goes, although the compelled speech, the line of cases on compelled speech is a little difficult to, to reconcile. And this is, this may be true with First Amendment generally, if you get look at all of the cases, it's a little bit difficult to say that they're all consistent with each other. But um, certainly the argument is that the First Amendment protects not only your right to express something, but your freedom not to, to have to join in a message that you don't agree with. Okay. So is it too early to know, because it's a relatively recent decision, too early to know how this will all play out in the courts as time goes forward? Well, it's... It is probably too early to tell. On the one hand, I think uh, Citizens United uh, did inspire a fair amount of backlash. President Obama made his comments on his State of the Union, I think it was, that that pr- prompted Justice Alito, I think, to to make some comment, and this all got a lot of press. Um, it's really hard to tell, though, how far the court's going to go. I, I have said that they what they this could do is potentially unravel virtually all the new deal um there's some indication that especially with this most recent decision in the commercial speech area of sorrel versus ims that what the court is prepared to do is something less radical that is it's laid the foundation for selectively invalidating legislation that it finds um, uncongenial 
without actually explicitly saying that the entire regulatory state is unconstitutional. But we'll have to just wait and see. Well, thank you very much. This is a, a what seems to me to be a profoundly important decision by the Supreme Court that ripples through society in so many ways. So it's really nice to have your explanation of it and to get your sense of what the implications might be. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Our guest today was Tamara Piety, Associate Dean for Faculty Development and Associate Professor of Law at the University of Tulsa College of Law. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org. There you'll find a variety of excellent resources, information on food policy, a free email newsletter that gets dispatched monthly, and of course a list of the other excellent podcasts that have been recorded. Thank you.